Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. Come in, shut the door. Lock the door, even. And take off all of your clothes, because I'm here with Andy Brassel. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't involve me in that. Keep them yes. on. At least keep your pants and socks on. Come on. I'll give you a good mailbag in, Andy. Um, (laughs) I think anybody who hasn't listened to this podcast, this is like the first time they've listened to the mailbag. They think, hang on, what what on earth is this about? I mean, the the tone does change quite rapidly from from the introduction to the first question. Um, And my goodness, we need to do it before um, the police turn up. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, you're very welcome. It's the mailbag. You know the drill by now. You ask questions uh, to Andy. I am the middleman. And and I pose those questions to Andy, justifying my uh, appearance every week on this podcast. So, Andy, without further ado, I'd like to uh, well, I'd like to I'd like to bring two questions to the table to begin with, and, and sort of mush them into one, and then send it your way. We have one from Kev Sandal and DJ Chubby Bubble, everybody's favourite DJ. In fact, would you know what? In the spirit of uh, the current climate, we're going to bubble those questions together. Uh, so, so Sandal said that he's been watching the England under twenty ones uh, recently. A couple of players that, that that caught his eye: Jonathan Panzo and Jamal Musiala. And uh, he said, after a quick Google search, uh, he found that uh, he must be a, a, a personal detective. This guy, um, he found that they are playing uh, with uh, Dijon and Bayern Munich, respectively. Um, so he's interested to know about these players, and, and are there any other? Uh, three lion cubs hiding across Europe that should be on our radar, as he quite wonderfully puts it. And then, and then DJ Chubby Bubble says, as a build on Kev's question, I'd be interested to hear more about Yunus Musa. I didn't recognise his name when I read the uh, the USA lineup against Wales recently, uh, but he's broken through at Valencia this season, and it's interesting that he switched to play for the US after playing in the English youth system for the past few years. Do you think that he didn't back himself? Uh, to break into Gareth's plans and felt the US was more achievable. So there's a lot there, Andy, but the three players we're looking at, Jonathan Panzo, Jamal Musiala and Yunus Musa. Andy, off you go. Yeah, well, let's start with uh, Jonathan Panzo first because he's the the older one at 20. He's been in uh, France for a, a while now. Won the under-17 uh, World Cup with England, of course, Andy. Yeah, he did. And um, he's he's been in um, Monaco mainly mm. in, in the time that he's been over there. He's only recently moved to, to Dijon. And um, I think really the thinking behind going to Monaco is good thinking because at that point, you look at the team that won the title in 2017 and got to the Champions League semi-final and I guess at that point, and of course, football changes so fast that it's easy to forget that Monaco and Dortmund were kind of at a level for your dream destination as a teen player of of some repute at that age because um, you'd be thinking um, it's somewhere where I can get a chance. I can get first team football. I can compete for trophies. I can play in big games. Um, And maybe, in fact, you'd have thought that even more after they sold absolutely everyone in in, in 2017, which um, wasn't the initial plan. But um, after the huge offer, as we've spoken about before, after the huge offer arrived for Benjamin Mondi, everything changed and, and, and everyone wanted to go. It was kind of hard to put the block on an exodus. Um, but what this did cause was big instability. And there was instability upstairs as as well as 
on the pitch. Um, there was um, since then there've been a couple of changes in, in in sporting director, which I think is absolutely crucial when you're talking about bringing through young players and um, you're talking about the the direction of the club. Um, and I think really those were key years for for Panzo. And if he'd have um, had if he'd have arrived, I suppose, at Monaco, or if he'd have been like 17, mm-hmm. three years before, I, th- I think it would have made a massive difference to his career. Um, I mean, we're, we're not really to know because, you know, players looking, turning from prospects into bona fide first teamers of, of top quality who can maybe um, aspire to a move elsewhere. Um, it's a big leap and it, it doesn't always happen given whatever given the talent but I think he was there at a particularly unstable time at the point where he might have come into the first team and might have got to go it didn't quite happen for him and um, I, I think the, the the club and Panzo himself realised that that ship has sailed and so he's off to actually get some first team football at, at Dijon um, and it's been hard this season there's there's no two ways about it he's, he's had a couple of really tough matches because They've had a really tough start to the season, and we talked about that. Well, absolutely, and um, we talked about that stability. Well, with them being bottom of the league, they fired not only the coach Dijon, but um, the sporting director, the former Lyon striker um, Peggy Louis Ndula, um, about a week and a half ago. So I'm not sure (laughs) that's quite the environment that he's been looking for after all that upheaval at Monaco. So I'll be interesting to see um, how it goes for him. Um, but the, the opening weeks of, of this season, which is his first really consistent first-team football um, since he's arrived in France, is, is, is going to be tough. Um, Musiala and Musa are in a, a different bracket. Uh, they're a different age for a start. They're, they're, they're both 17. Um, and talking of stability, Musiala is doing wonderfully well I think, I think at least partly because of, of, of where Bayern are and the fact that there's no pressure on him. With that said, um, for him to make a dent near this first team, when yeah. you bear in mind that it's basically the best, it's, it's, you know, it's the best club in, in, in Europe at the moment. It's the best team in Europe at the moment is absolutely astonishing. What he is able to do with Bayern having good holds on most games that they're on is he's able to come on Musiala and absolutely ran, run the opposition ragged when, the, when they're half dead already, mm-hmm. which is a definite plus for him. He's a, a central midfielder. Well. Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, he's a central midfielder uh, with lots of energy, lots of attacking thrust, really, really technically tight um, and, and good at arriving late in the box as well. Um, so he's someone who I think is suited to buying. He's suited to the Bundesliga and he's someone who um, I can see getting more games. And if he continues to grow at the rate he does, I wonder if, you know, a few other similar players start getting pushed out of the picture, like Corentin Tolisso, who was a record signing, of course, when he arrived at, at Bayern. He's had an injury, quite bad injury since. And he's come back from that. I think Tolisso is still fantastic on his day, but... Musiala is, is, is coming up fast and um, to get a go and consistently get a go and have the personality to make the most of it when you're 17 is is quite astonishing. Now, of course, 
he, like the next man we're going to talk about, has got a bit of a choice to make um, because he could either play for Germany um, or he could play for England. Now, I tend to think when we go into... Well, he could play for Nigeria, I believe, as well. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think, he's, I think his father's Nigerian. Right, okay. Um, well, it, it seems at the moment, at least, that the choices he's going to make are going to be, be between England and, and Germany because he's played at youth level for England, but um, Germany are pushing quite hard for him. He's played um, a couple of games for Germany under 16s as well. I mean, he's. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hedge bets. He's a wanted player. Yeah, and I think, like, we, we talked about this on, on the continent recently with. Mm. Um, Miguel Delaney, and um, we talked about you know the um, the different parts of your personality. If um, if you're your dual nationality, or you know you've got even more um, options in terms of choosing a national team, and how there might be a careerist element to it, and there's nothing particularly wrong with that. Um, but I think as well when you're in those teenage years. Um, a lot can be read into choices that aren't really choices. You know, mm. you just want to play with your friends and you just want to play with your peers. And yeah, sure. I, I think that's the, that's the most normal thing um, when, when you're at that sort of age. Now, Eunice Musa is, is, is slightly different. Um, now he's someone unlike Jonathan Panzo, for example, who's really been a huge beneficiary of instability at his club because um, Valencia are a mess. Um, they've, been all over the place really um, in, in the start of this season despite the recent win against Real Madrid in, in which he had a role Yunus Musa um, but he's got his go in the first team yes because he's a, a good young player but also because Javi Gracia who I think feels he was rather fibbed to when he was shown the prospectus for the um, for, for, for the job um, he was told when they sold key players that they'd be replaced they haven't been replaced so really, he's having to dig around and find a way to to, to put out a team that's that's, that's competent. And um, Eunice Musa has been a huge beneficiary of this. He is only seventeen. He is a right winger. He's pretty fast, um, very composed when running with the ball at, at pace. And you know, there's 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 a lot to him. Um, clearly, delivery needs a, a little bit of work, but. In terms of directness, he's a, he's a big threat to, to opposing defences already. Um, he, he also became, holds a record, doesn't he, Andy? Yeah, well, he became the, 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 the second youngest player ever to score for Valencia and the youngest foreigner ever to score for Valencia um, when he got his yeah. first La Liga goal of the, the, the season. It was Mena who was the youngest goal scorer for Valencia in 1941. So we're talking about <laughs> a, a, a while back. Um, and... Um, you know, I think I think it's a, a natural upshot of someone who has been given this opportunity and wants to to grab it with both hands. Now, um, for me, I had no idea that he, he was born in New York City. Mm. So when I saw him called up by the US, it was quite a horrible shock. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, there, there, there he there he went and got a couple of caps in this international break. Now, of course, that doesn't fully commit him to the United States because. Um, that they were friendly games. So if, if if he wanted to declare for England afterwards, then fair enough. I'm not necessarily convinced he will do that because I think we, we talked about um, opportunity and we also talked about the importance of peers and the fact that he's come into this um, team at the same time as 
Gio Reyna. I imagine it's very exciting for him. Of course, Reyna got his first goal for, for the US the other night as well. He's someone who's really benefited from that opportunity at Dortmund and someone who already looks like a technical leader on the, on the pitch at the same age, which is absolutely astonishing. So if I was Yunus Musa, I suspect those two games away with the US would have convinced me more to stick with the US. Um, yeah. But who, who knows what he's thinking? What, what, what we can well, say... Only, sorry, Andy, to cut in, but he only lived in England for a handful of years. He was obviously, as you say, born in America. And in 2012, when he was, I think when he was nine or 10 years old, he moved to London to join Arsenal's academy. And his parents are from Ghana, I think. So, you know, again, what, sometimes these things are a little bit more, I don't know, sort of complicated. Nuanced. There's, there's a lot more thought. Uh, nuanced is the word exactly going on. Anyway, you were going to say something. So. Yeah, well, you know, I think we have to respect people's... Um, desire to or, or just need to, to self-identify really as well don't we um maybe in this case it's just that the u.s have been a, a bit quicker off the mark and what the u.s have been very good at um over the years is going and searching for and finding talent that is united states eligible um you know that's something we saw when jürgen klinsmann was in charge we saw the connection with germany yeah. but the, the US are pretty much the modern Republic of Ireland and then some in their ability to go and and get players who are qualified for for the states who, who may not be ones that are initially on the radar. I mean, it's almost a full-time scouting operation. They do a tremendous job. And, you know, you look at him, he's someone who's fantastic young talent, who's proving already that he's good enough to play in La Liga and I think he's going to get a lot better. Let us move on to a question here from Tyler, who said, Is it possible for Andy to shed some light on Media Pro, the broadcaster of Ligue 1, deciding to stop paying the league for the TV deal? The noises coming out of France make it sound like this could be catastrophic for the clubs. Tyler, I think it is possible for Andy to shed some light on this. Yeah, and it's possible it could be catastrophic as well, Tyler, Mm. um, now you come to mention it. it's a very unusual deal that has um, certainly in terms of French television rights that has, has, has been under the microscope for a while, because um, if you go back to when this deal was inked, which was about a year and a half ago, um, media pro work were interesting because um, for, for, for years and years, Canal Plus, who are, I guess the equivalent of Sky in France had been um, uncontested as the, the holder of the rights. Now, being then came along, um, which is um, well, it's, it's known all over the world now. But the the sporting arm of Al Jazeera, and they arrived to take part in the in the, in the French market as the same at the same time as uh, Nasser El Khelaifi and uh, QSI um, took over Paris Saint Germain, and to have a major broadcaster, um, or the major broadcaster, the major rights holder. Um, with a connection with one of the big clubs may seem a a bit unusual to to us, I think, from um, um, certainly from a British perspective. Um, In a French perspective, there was precedent for it because um, Paris Saint-Germain in a previous lifetime were were, were owned by Canal Plus, were majority owned by Canal Plus. So they've been there before. Now, I mean, this always had this weird sort of, 
um, shadow in the background, really, because I remember Jean-Michel Olas, uh, the president of Lyon, of course, he's always working an angle. I think that's pretty clear. But when um, Paris Saint-Germain first started to um, get their feet under the Ligue 1 table and make it clear that they were going to dominate for a long time, he said at the time, well, why don't you loan us like Mamadou Sacco and Clement Chantom? Because you're in a situation where you've got tons of money, you're buying in lo- loads of new players, but if the league's not competitive, you're not going to sell any um, subscriptions. So yeah. you, ne- yeah, you yeah. need to make it more balanced. You need to create a proper competitor. Can we have some of your players that you don't need, please? <laughs> Which was um, an interesting approach to it. Um, but French football has, has become sort of settled in, in the model that it, that it was, the, the sort of split between uh, Canal Plus and um, uh, being where they kind of shared the rights. Um, it's sort of a slightly more even version of what we, we have in the UK with um, Sky and, and, and BT. And even though there was this overwhelming sense that um, Paris Saint-Germain just had far greater financial might than everyone else, um, the payoff of that, the fact that uh, Paris Saint-Germain were constantly relevant in Europe. I know there'll be some people tittering here after some of their recent Champions League failures that um, predate last season. Um, A lot of people thought that at least European visibility was um, a reasonable return on that, that made the price being paid worth paying. Um, But when MediaPro came along a year and a half ago, it it really shook everything up because um, this is... um, a, a Spanish-run um, broadcast company, um, which is also um, partly Chinese-owned, um, but the, the the direction behind it is, is is Spanish, and so I don't know. I, I guess it's a bit like if Canal Plus had, had had come along and bought the rights for the Premier League or something like that. It's not something that we're incredibly used to in European sports rights at all, really. Um, so it, it was something quite new, and because. Media Pro won the rights and then didn't say anything for quite a long time. They didn't make a very front foot, right, this is how we're going to um, relate to the clubs. This is how we're going to relate to the fans. This is how we're going to diffuse the products. Um, when, when there's nothing said, obviously speculation rises to fill the vacuum. Now, um, it was after last season was brought to an end, the, um, prematurely in March, that... Um, Media Pro came forward and and said what they were going to do. They were going to create a new channel. So they created a new channel, which they called uh, Telefoot. They um, reached an agreement with TFR, um, which is the, the main state broadcaster, to um, take the name of that. So basically, it's, I guess, to build some sort of fam- familiarity. If we're going back to Canal Plus, buying the rights for the Premier League again, it's like if they called, if, if they called their new channel Match of the Day, or something yeah. like that. It's, it's, it's a bit like that. Um, but it's all fallen apart really, really quickly. And I think people now are, are wondering, should we have asked more questions in this time when nothing really was happening? Because the size of the deal, I think, has affected everything that's happened in Ligue 1 in 2020. Now, of course, people will rightly say, well, the coronavirus has affected everything that's happened in 2020, and that is also correct. But if you look at the leagues that in, in Europe, the major European leagues that were happy to 
bring an end to what they were doing versus the ones who needed to carry on. So much of that is related to broadcast deals and broadcast insurance. Again, which I don't think will be news to a lot of people listening to this. Um, it, it definitely influenced the way that uh, the LFP, the French League, went about um, the season because they, they were hoping to restart the season. And then certainly from the outside, um, ostensibly the government pulled the rug under them and said, look, sport's not happening, okay? Mm. But I think if you've got a stronger league and a league with um, a real will to carry on, then they can go to the government and they, they can negotiate. Because I think if you look at Javier Tebas and how he was constantly in touch with the Spanish government, the president of La Liga, he was integral in it getting going again. And he definitely made his influence felt on future policy, which was not the case in France. Um, but my feeling is so much of that is because it's far more important when we go back to, say, end of April or May, it was far more important for the French that this season started than the last one ended because the new broadcast contract was starting and it, it, getting the money in was more important than ever. So um, the, the fact that it was it was quite a raise on the, on, on the previous one was um, something that was hugely important for them generally, but particularly in the financial context um, that they were left in with coronavirus. Now they've got a huge problem of course, because you think, well, um, that they've um, if, if they're not going to be paid because Media Pro have come out and said, um, look, look we, we just need to go to arbitration because we can't pay all of this. And the league, not unreasonably, have taken quite a strong stance on that and said, well, um, look, you, you, I know you signed the contract in, in non-corona times, but nevertheless, you recently signed this contract. You can't just say you're not going to pay it to us. Um, it looks like what will happen next is um, they'll end up taking media pro to court, which will take a really long time. Probably Canal Plus, or maybe with a bit of help from being, will step in to pick up that contract. But obviously, they know the league are over a barrel. They know the clubs are struggling. They know the clubs have been lent money by the state. So the TV deal, I think, will be way down on what it was before. So even if they can sort this out at extremely short notice, I think the French clubs are in a, a bit of trouble here. Oh, dear. Well, sadly, the bleak picture that's going on at the moment in football, isn't it, Andy, for the, for the most part? Um, right, let's finish with a question from Barry O. And Barry says, has Mario Goetze uh, settled in since his move to PSV? While some might see it as a major step down and somewhat of a, of a fall from grace for a player who scored the winning goal in a World Cup final in 2014 and is still only 28 could it be seen as a good move for his career? In my opinion, big club, European football and challenging for the league title all could help to revitalise his career. Are you with Barry or are you vehemently against him, Andy? I agree with Barrio. And is it mm. is it Barrio like as in Spanish or is it Barry Gap, first letter of his no, next not, name, O? It, it, it's not like a dodgy neighbourhood in Argentina. It's Barry O. Like right. Okay. Sandra I can never tell o. with you. I can never tell with you, Marcus, because you always give people that Australian sort of <laughs> nickname, don't you? Like Vish is Visho, for example, yeah, isn't he? I do, I do quite like that on but Twitter, especially. 
Uh, uh, right, okay. <laughs> well, I would have called him Bazza. Yeah, you could have. I, I would I would have called him Bazza, unprompted. But maybe yeah. he's related to Karen O, the uh, singer from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Who knows? Yeah, another one. Yeah, it's a possible, isn't it? Very, It's very possible. But let's let's get back to Mario anyway. Mm. Um, I, I, I agree with Bazza. I think it is um, an unexpected but quite sensible move from him. And it's something that you would expect because a lot of people, again, we talk about when there's silence, um, speculation rises to fill the vacuum. I think that's particularly the case with Mario Goetze, who's been very, very reticent with the media for a, a long time now. Um for a couple of reasons. One, he feels they've been a little bit unfair with him over, over, over the years. Um, two, because of his health problems. And three, because, and he's, he's talked about it at reasonable length uh, recently, um, he found the aftermath of the World Cup uh, winning goal in 2014 quite difficult to deal with. Um and that came at the end of his first season at Bayern. And he, he found it very, very hard to, to meet expectation after, after that. Um, at least that's the, that's the way he tells it. Um, I think bearing in mind how little football he's played and that he's only 28 years old, of course, people are going to think it's weird. But the fact is he has um, gone to a club, as, as Barry says, that's, that's going to challenge. And I think that is a big deal. If you look at the other players the PSV have, have brought in this season. It's an exciting team. Um, you look at um, Aaron Jahavi, I think is um, someone who, who I think will do do pretty well there. Um, even if he's had a bit of a, a, a quiet start, you look, they've already got Daniel Malen, um, who I think will do very, very well for the Netherlands going forward. They've got a, a, a team, young uh, Englishman. He's got four and two starts already. Uh, Noni Madueke, who, again, I, I think could be pretty good. So he's got an opportunity with an ambitious team to to go and do something this season. It doesn't look like that will be the case in Europe because um, they've not started brilliantly because despite his, his absolutely superb opening goal against Granada. They went on to lose that game after he went off at half-time. But I think a situation where he's got a bit more time, a bit more space, um, he can express himself, um, he's going to play minutes... All of these things are, are super important. And for, for those who say it's a step down, I don't think they really understand what Gertz has been through these last couple of seasons. He started five times in the Bundesliga last season. Yeah. And he, he's not started 20 Bundesliga games or more in a season for, what, five, six years? Like a long yeah. time now. So um, remember at one point when he, he had this metabolic problem, it looked as if his his career might be over. So that he's come back from that, I think is, is, is already a victory. I think he's someone who wants a bit of peace and quiet as well off the pitch. He, he doesn't want to be bothered. He wants to focus on his, his young family. And when you've seen him play, even in his second spell at Dortmund, which wasn't that successful, um, he's still someone who can change a game. I, I think the problem for, for Goetze or the problem for the perception of Goetze I should say, because maybe it's not a particular problem for him, is that it's always in people's minds what he should have been when he was that player who, you know, had greater promise at 17, 18 than Musiala or Musa. When we go back to the start of the episode, he was someone who people thought would be an absolute superstar. And that whole thing was, 
was kind of amplified really when he scored that goal in 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 2014. But you know, as I said, he's someone who who knows his own mind. is is from um, an educated intellectual family, which I think maybe I wonder if he thinks about things a little too hard at at, at times, or he certainly has thought about things a, a little too hard at times. Mm-hmm. But just really to find the simplicity of being in a, a, a comfortable situation, not that far from home. Uh, where he can win and where he can express himself. And the early signs are good because I don't think there's anyone out there who doesn't want to see him succeed. Yeah, and I think I think as well that sometimes we can forget just how big other clubs are that aren't challenging yeah. for the Champions League. You know, if you see a player go to the likes of Benfica or PSV, Ajax, um, you know, Porto or, you know, whoever it may be, even the club like Club Bruges or something like that, you know, these are big clubs with big tradition and PSV with pressure stadium. as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and it's, it's not an easy option, is it? You've got to win every week. You do have to win every week, but I think that someone like Goethe probably wants to be in that environment, but Agreed. not in the way that he has been in that environment in when it when it's for Bayern and Dortmund because the team is expected to win every week and there's there's expectation on him as an individual but let's be honest you know he's won everything in germany a fair few times over he's obviously won the world cup i mean the champions league is missing and you would think that's probably unlikely uh, going to to psv but i mean it's he he could win trophies at, at psv certainly domestically so i i I understand how it's seen as a, 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 it could be seen as a bit of a step down for a guy who is 28 and you think when he scores that winning goal in the World Cup final, could he go on to play for the likes of, of Real Madrid or, or whatever? Mm. But you don't know what's going on in, or, or in his personal life, as you say, Andy. And he's still playing for PSV, a huge club, you know. So let's hope that he can go there and, and do something good. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe he gets a big money, another big money move when he's 30. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and then he can fulfil his potential. Um, no, we, he'll soon be teaming up with Carlo Ancelotti at Everton, and we look forward to that immensely. <laughs> so, so there we are. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of uh, the mailbag for this week. Thank you very much for your questions. It's been an absolute delight hearing Andy answer them. Uh, do get your questions in, of course, uh, to the uh, mailbag thread on uh, the Discord app. Whenever, whenever you think of a question, whether it's in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning or any time in between, just whack them on there. Whack them on there. We see them all, and we appreciate every single one of them. So, uh, so there we are. Until next week. Thank you very much, Andy Brassel. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. See you soon. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.